region of the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia and beyond. This is the time when we need to write and make art for the sake of healing our souls and enriching our communities. Welcome to Artemis Speaks. So just slow down in life Because you can't Hello, this is Jerry Rogers, and I'm delighted today to have a guest that Artemis Journal has published through the years. Uh, Dr. Molly O'Dell is or was a practicing physician and uh, for 26 years, and she started uh, turning her talents towards poetry at the age of 50. She received an MFA in 2008 from the University of Nebraska. And I want to ask you why you went out there. But we'll get to that. Continuing to practice medicine in the public sector, she wrote poems that have been published in national and regional journals, including the one and only Artemis Journal, uh, JAMA, Chest, Family Medicine, Whitefish Review, and many others. Off the Chart is a chapbook informed by her medical practice in Buchanan, Virginia and it was published in 2015. And her newest book, CARE, C-A-R-E, is a four-letter verb, which will be released in early March. So welcome, Molly. It's so good to have you here today. Thank you, Jerry. And Skip. And the, the magician Skip Brown, who makes it all happen. So you had a very successful career as a doctor for many years. Can you tell us a little bit about your practice, and what you did as a doctor. Sure. I, I, I had such an amazing career. I was lucky enough um, back in the 80s when I finished my family practice residency here in Roanoke to open a solo practice in Buchanan, Virginia. I mean, nobody does that anymore, but I had the audacious notion that it could happen. And I had... Um, a wonderful experience living in a community where I also took care of the people that were my neighbors and uh, store owners. I made house calls every Friday morning. The public health nurses actually um, talked me into starting to do the house calls and that was just a wonderful experience. Of course, my staff loved it that I was gone out of the office every Friday morning. <laughs> so it was, it was wonderful. And then um, in 1987, when I was pregnant with my second child, I heard on NPR that uh, my malpractice was non-renewed. All solo practitioners were going to be lose their malpractice. So I went into the office, called the insurance company, and they said, oh, yeah, you'll be getting your confirmation in the mail. So oh. 
Lovely. I was sort of shocked. My father, who kept my book, said, there's no way you can afford to pay the tail that you'll need to um, cover my previous practice in order to go into another practice. And so I didn't know what I was going to do. And then one day I got a call from um, the public health director here in the area, and she was getting ready to leave. And she thought I would make a great health director. So she taught me about public health while we were sitting at the library talking about the job and I applied for the position and I got it. So in 1987, I entered the field of public health as a really young uh, physician. I learned, I learned as I went and it was just the most wonderful career with the health department for 20, 25 years. Well, we loved hearing uh, about you through the newspapers or media, you know, the different uh, policies that you were enacting or the statements you were making about general health. And and then the pandemic hit, and that must have been a real tough situation for you at that time. Well, I was retired, so oh. and there was a vacancy in the health district here, so I was asked if I would come back and help, and I was so glad to be able to do it. And now we have a wonderful new physician in charge, Dr. Morrow's the new health director. And so I've re-retired <laughs> and I'm not sorry about it. <laughs> and more time to write, correct? That's right. Well, That's right. You started writing at the age of 50. Is that correct? That you had That's gone right. to your children and asked them about writing. And, and how did that come about? Well, I was turning 50 and I realized my children were more well-read than I was. So <laughs> I asked my kids and a good friend of mine in um, Oklahoma, I said, I need a reading list. I'm going to start at 50 and become literate. And my <laughs> daughter said, Mom, I'll give you the reading list, but you need to write. You've got plenty of good things to write about. So a, a really good friend of mine, Katie Letcherlau, who was a prolific writer, said, I agree with Sarah, my daughter you need to come with me to Nimrod this summer. And Nimrod is a um, arts program at an old uh, 1700 uh, inn in Bath County. And for three weeks out of the summer, it's for writers. And so I went and shared some of my work and talked and the folks at that writing uh, camp said, oh, you're a poet. And so they gave me a bunch of books to read and poets to study and said, keep writing. And that's what I did. And then in, um, a few years later, my husband was called to uh, a job in Omaha, Nebraska. And that's how I ended up in Nebraska. And while I was there, I decided in this transition, it would be a great time to take my writing more seriously. So I enrolled up while I applied and was accepted for the MFA program there. And that's where I got my MFA. Okay, that explains Nebraska. Well, you yeah. told me while you were there that you hooked up with some physicians to write about medicine. Is that what happened there? Yeah, yeah. one of my uh, professors in my MFA program wanted to start a dialogue and a workshop of writers and physicians. And so he recruited seven writers and seven physicians who were interested in writing. And we did a workshop for 12 weeks, once a week. And the writers were paired with a physician to sort of mentor them. And then at the end, we shared our work. Um, many of the physicians have gone on to be successful writers. 
And uh, that project, it's called the Seven Doctors Project, is still going. And it's been very generative at the University of Nebraska. Well, it must give a great insight into what it's like to practice as a physician. I think we're all very interested in that because we're attached to our doctors and we just wonder, you know, how it is with them. And they go through so much with all of us. Um, well, there you uh, came back to Buchanan, right? And you started yes. uh, publishing your work. I know Artemis has published you for years. We love your work. And I've noticed much of the themes that run through your work are about or revolve around nature. Uh, why is that? What What is it that nature does for you? Well, I think it started out um, the middle of five children. And so our household was chaotic. And the mm -hmm. place that was the most peaceful was always the backyard because nobody else wanted to be out there. <laughs> and I was the one in the family that always wanted to go to camp or go camping. Mm -hmm. And I've just always had an affinity to be in nature as a place to just settle down and be centered. And I knew when I went to Nebraska, I was going to have a rude awakening that I was going to leave my cathedral of the Blue Ridge Mountains. And it was quite a challenge, but I discovered the prairie and the beauty that that has to offer, but um, there's nothing like a stream in the Blue Ridge. There's just nothing like being on a stream in the Blue Ridge. No, we're we're in a fairly gifted, wonderful treasure yeah. with nature. Um, and you told me early on that you had a, a poem as a kid, Inside Sucks. Is that what that was about? <laughs> or that was your saying? No, my sister. Actually, oh. my little sister gave me for um, this Christmas, she gave us all computer covers. And each of the computer covers had a saying on it that sort of was the bottom line of each of our personalities. Oh. And mine was inside sucks. <laughs> <laughs> she knows I've always, anything I did, it was going to be outside. So you hike, do you fly fish? I, I think you do. I, I used to fly fish when my son was doing it, but uh -huh. I didn't love it as much as he did. I love being out there in the stream, but I don't care about catching fish. I know, because then you have to <laughs> clean them and eat them. I, right. I get it. I understand. Well, let's talk about your um, new book, Care is a Four-Letter Verb. Um, that'll be released in March. What What is that about? So... <clears throat> It's really, um, I guess it's a, first of all, it's a hybrid piece, it's multi-genre, and it's a collection of things that I care about, either events that have been um, sort of formed my foundation on what really matters in life, or um, activities or encounters that I've had that have been transformational. And the title really came to me when I was in Nebraska, when I realized that one of the biggest problems with the medical system is that it used to be that care was a verb. It was something people practiced. And at some, somewhere in the 70s and 80s, it really became uh, reimbursable now. And that's where things have gone downhill since. So, you know, I can't separate the fact that I'm a physician and that's my beloved profession that, I, you know, when you were saying you're so um, tied up with your physicians, as a physician, I'm so committed to my patients and we don't have 
often an opportunity to share that um, treasure is such a gift to be able to care for other people. So all of this sort of melds into this hybrid work that'll be coming out in March. Well, we look forward to it. I've been reading off the chart, that's your chapbook, and that was written from the perspective of you as a physician or as a yeah. patient. Tell and me both, about that. Really both. Yeah. Uh huh. And the experiences you were going through at that That's time. Right. Yes. It's beautiful. It's uh, so much nature in there. I, I love reading it. Um, I also noticed that you produced a song um, with a children's choir about wearing a mask. Can you talk <laughs> yes. about that? That's on your website. Yes, it is. And, um, Sometime during this pandemic, every morning at nine o'clock, our epidemiology team met and we constantly were trying to think of ways to encourage people to social distance, wear a mask and just follow the guidelines. I mean, we were just watching these cases rise, 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 rise. And I remember when I was in Omaha, I had a uh, marketing person say, if you can get a jingle that gets in people's heads, that really does help change behavior. And so I remembered this old jingle from uh, Evans Drugstore. It was a drugstore on Williamson Road, where Crossroads Mall is now. And it's, I can still sing it. And I know a lot of people that grew up here that could sing it. So I wrote the lyrics and called the director of Runa College Children's Choir and told her this cockamamie idea. And she said, I love it. We'll do it. So the, they adopted, they had me sing the tune over the, phone and then they wrote the music out I sent them the lyrics and then she taught it to the choir and they um, recorded it so it was an amazing uh, collaboration that happened literally over a two-week span isn't that wonderful yeah. so is that played in different I don't know churches where do they where do they sing so, so our intention for the Roanoke Valley Children's Choir production was that schools would play it you can hear it on the radio. A lot of times it's on the radio. I got an um, email the other day from Kim Davidson, the director of Runnett Valley Children's Choir, and she said she's gotten emails from people all over the country that have heard it and are playing it. So there's been a little bit of a catch on, which is great. And it is a jingle and it does. It's basically about social distance, you know, wear a mask and um, it's cute. So it's a it's a great song. and the the lyrics, of course, were easy to <laughs> oh, come up with. It's adorable. You know, it's, it's often shocking when you see people just <clears throat> defiantly not wearing a mask. And, you know, it's it's a problem. Oh, they play it on NPR constantly. So maybe we, we might try to tuck it in at some point. There you go. Okay. Well, we'll conclude this interview. Uh, uh, I want to just have you tell us a little bit about some future readings. I know you have a couple of events coming up and we all can be hopeful that we can one day be in person again. So and, uh, you want to tell us about those future events coming up? Sure. Um, there's two that are pl tangibly planned. One is going to be a virtual event that's going to be sponsored by uh, Book No Further. And I'll be co-reading my new book with a childhood friend, Lee Souter, who's just released her first novel, Family Weave. So we're going to do a co-reading. 
And um, we both grew up here in Roanoke and some of our work obviously reflects where we're from. So we think it's gonna be fun to play off of each other. And then on April 16th, there's a group of women that have been sort of um, a writing group for years and years that Katie Letcher Lyle started called the Good Old Gals. And so we're just sick and tired of not being able to get together. So we're getting together um, at Jordan's Point in Lexington, um, the middle of the day on the 16th, and the five of us are gonna do a reading and we're gonna, I uh, can't tell you the exact format because I don't know what the VDH guidelines are gonna be then, but we're gonna follow the guidelines, but, but we'll be there selling books and the proceeds of our book, our profits are gonna go to the local health department staff. Wonderful. Because they have been tireless. Yes, and who are the women in this group? So the other women are Judia Yildis, Nancy Johnston, Charlotte Morgan, and Lisa Tracy. Wonderful. Judy's been a great friend, Artemis, past president, everything. We, you know, she's just wonderful. Well, we look forward to that, and hopefully everyone will have their vaccines, maybe. Yeah. Yay. Well, yes. She's going, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes, she does. So we're going to conclude this interview, Molly, with a reading of one of your poems that you have picked for us. If you'll tell us a little bit about it and where it appeared. Okay. So this will be in Care as a Four-Letter Verb. And I picked this for you and Skip. And I think you'll understand Yay. why I'm reading it. I'm reading this one. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right. It's called Friday Night Jamboree. <clears throat> Down the road past Schoolhouse Fabrics, Cochran's store faces State Route 8, just west of Maine. By day, bare wood wears smooth with shoppers hunting overalls, work boots, and gloves. At 6.30 on Friday nights, after a supper with pippins and kraut, string players appear and merchandise gets pushed aside. Benches from the porch move inside, a fiddle tunes, claw hammers chase the melody. Outside town, forks of the river run down both sides of the Continental Divide and nat native trout spawn. By dark, licks and picks and tunes and spoons clap from the alley in the parking lot. Kids move from set to set. Inside, cloggers clock to the featured band, name posted in pencil on a paper taped to the wall since last week. Out on the porch, guitar swap picks and upstairs, banjos roll a fetching tune as the worn floor pulses inside Cochram's store. An advertisement shows the store's been sold. It's got a new name, but tradition's the same. Obey Granny's rules or leave the site. No smoking, no drinking, no spitting or cussing from 6.30 to 11 on Friday night. Lovely. That's just a wonderful place. I live up in Floyd, and this has uh, just been going on for, what, 30-something years where we have musicians coming out of the hills and descending on the town of Floyd. In fact, there's been talk that they need to put a traffic light or something up there because people are out in the streets. Well, this is pre-pandemic, and we're all looking forward to it returning, but that, that really captured the essence of the magic of what goes on. It is. Well, Molly, thank you so much. It's been delightful talking with you today. Um, I have been speaking with 
Dr. Molly O'Dell. I'm Jerry Rogers, recording from Final Track Studios, co-produced with Skip Brown. If you'd like to listen to previous podcasts, you can go to our website, artemisjournal.org slash podcast. Thank you, Molly, for joining us. Thank you, Jerry and Skip. While we were talking, Skip, behind the sound booth, did some magic and pulled up the song, Wear a Mask, in which Molly wrote and the Roanoke Children's Choir recorded. So we want to play that for you. And uh, thank you so much again, Molly, Roanoke Children's Choir, and Skip. You've been listening to Artemis Speaks. Artemis is a charitable organization now 43 years old and has evolved to be all-inclusive, a journal with essays, poetry, and art. 10% of the journal's sales are donated to a women's shelter in southwest Virginia. If you're interested in learning more, artemisjournal.org. You can mail us directly at P.O. Box 505. Floyd, Virginia, 24091. The closing music and the opening music you're listening to is Jordan Harmon. And the song is Just Slow Down, a very appropriate comment for the times that we're in. If you want to read, you have to slow down. Artemis Speaks, the podcast, is recorded twice monthly at Final Track Studios so just in Virginia. All rights reserved and is co-produced by Jerry because Rogers and